Hey, one more time, good morning. Welcome to South Point. If it's your first time, we are glad that you're here. If you're watching online, thank you so much for tuning in with us this morning. Um, there's a saying that I use, and it goes, blessed are the flexible because they are not easily broken. Um, in December, I took a couple of days, and I went to the Metroplex, and I really just kind of tried to, in my mind, storyboard this message of Nehemiah, just kind of going through the book, and how are we going to break it down, because it's a little bit longer, and kind of mapped it out. It's like, it's going to take about 21, 22 weeks, and I'd broken down how the verses were going to go, and then on Monday morning, I got in our staff meeting, and I said, I'm calling an audible. Um, we're going to go through the whole chapter in one message, and so, yeah, hope you brought a lunch. Um, now, we will try and get you out in a good time. I made it, I did really well the first service. We'll see how it goes this one. Um, this, I've been preaching for quite a while, but I've never taught through an Old Testament book like Nehemiah, where it's not super long. It's not like walking through Psalm, but it's, it's a little bit longer. And it's not like the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, by that point, the Greek culture and, and Roman culture had kind of come in. And so when they wrote, it kind of sounds like what we would write today. The Old Testament this is a very different culture. This is a Middle Eastern culture that most of us aren't familiar with, um, where the New Testament is very heavy on a teaching element. The Old Testament is very heavy on a narrative element. It's telling the story, and within that story, we learn from it. And there's times in the Old Testament we get to certain spots and we go, this kind of gives me tired head, because you'll hit these chapters where it's just name, 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 and this tribe had this many people, and this tribe had this many people, and this person was the son of this person, this was, person was the son of this person, and that's what we're going to look at today. And sometimes we go, man, I just kind of skip over that. In fact, a number of commentators that I typically look at, they just kind of skip over chapter 3, when chapter 3 of Nehemiah is a huge moment. In the story of Nehemiah, he's prayed and he's been burdened and he's had a plan. And chapter 3 is the wall being built. He's going to build the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And a lot of times we just kind of glance over it, but there's so much good within it. And I hope that we get to see that this morning. And as we get into this morning, we have to ask a question. How do we accomplish something big God has called us to do? God had called Nehemiah to something massive. I want you to rebuild the walls around this city, one and a half to two and a half miles of wall. That's a pretty big thing. So how do we accomplish something that God is calling us to that is big? Because I'll be very honest, I fully believe that God is calling South Point Church to big, big things, to reach our community, to reach our neighbors, to share the gospel and make his glory known. I fully, fully believe that God is calling individuals to big things within ministry, and we've got to learn to be obedient and accomplish those things. Sometimes we just accomplish the small things, and sometimes when we accomplish the small things, we get to accomplish bigger things. I got to watch that last week. Um, Y'all got to see me in a good mood. I told the first service this this morning. Last Sunday was weird for me. I got done with the first service. And I walked off stage, and typically, I, you've probably seen me, I walk out that door, and I usually make my way to the lobby so I can try and talk to people when service is over. I walked out that door, and I asked the staff later, I was like, did I look mad when I walked out? And they went, no. I was like, good, I covered it. I was furious for some reason. Could not tell you why. But I walked out that door, and I was just livid. I was like, man, that was the worst message I've ever preached. I'm, I stink at this. I'm about to go put my resume in at McDonald's. Like, I was just mad. I told somebody, I was like, I wanted to fight me. If I could have taken myself out of my body, I was just, I couldn't tell you why. I was just mad. And JD had just walked out and I said, hey, I need you. And uh, he kind of jokingly goes, oh, you need me? I went, no, get over here. Like, it was no ha-ha, no plane. I was like, dude, I'm frustrated, mad. I just, I need you to pray for me right now because I don't know why. And we prayed. 
And within just a few minutes, a couple of people did the smallest things of obedience. Like a guy that I had talked to several times, I walked by him and went to shake his hand. He gave me a hug. He said, God just told me to tell you I'm glad you're here. I was like, thanks for being obedient. And that happened several times. Where by the time I got in the second service, I was like, man, I'm, I'm good again. But for some reason, like all those little small things, if we can be obedient in the small things, God is also calling us to big things. He called Nehemiah to something big. And the crazy thing is, whenever God calls us to big things, it also gives us the opportunity to make big mistakes. One of the big mistakes we make is we underestimate the task. Nehemiah could have underestimated his task of rebuilding this wall, but he didn't. But a lot of times we fall into that trap. Think of it in this way. At some point, whether it was elementary, middle school, high school, higher education, everyone in here has been a student at some point. And you get that first day where, you know, you get the syllabus. And if it's a good first day, that's all they cover. You always got that one professor who wants to jump in. But you really, the first day is just to look at a piece of paper and go, here is the scope of this class. And sometimes we underestimate the task. And we look at it and go, man, I've got all the time in the world to get this stuff done. And then we don't realize, no, we need to piece that up into different spots so that I can take it in little chunks and not just let it overwhelm me. Sometimes we, over, or we underestimate the task that's in front of us. Sometimes we just let the work go undone. Someone in here has probably procrastinated until the night before a test, right? And you think, okay, I am in my element. It's time to cram. And you stay up all night, and it just doesn't work. It's something I graduated, so it works to a point because um, I've been guilty of that, but it's not how we were designed. Like when we procrastinate, sometimes, man, it just becomes this crushing thing. And if Nehemiah had procrastinated, it would have ended very poorly for him. If Nehemiah procrastinates, it probably means death to some people. If he'd put off building this wall, this was a sense of protection. This is what kept the people alive. And if he'd procrastinated, it could have led to the death of other people. So he doesn't make that mistake. Sometimes we tackle the problems that we like, and we put off the ones that we don't, and we make a big mistake there. Whenever I went into college, like I, I, had, I knew I was called to ministry, and I had been running from it for a while. At the time, when I first went in, I was a business major. That's what I wanted to do. After my first summer, I worked at a church, and I knew, okay, if I'm not doing that, I'm going to be absolutely miserable. I know God's called me to that. And so I went back, I changed my major for the first time. I was a communication major, and I thought, you know, there's some crossover there, and I loved it. Like, most people are terrified of getting in front of people. I love that. Public speaking 101, great. Speaking for technical majors, great. Argument and debate, persuasion, all these different classes, I loved it. But within the communication department, you had to have 14 hours of foreign language. I didn't love that. And I put it off, and I put it off. And it's not like you can just take a whole semester of those and stack them on one another. You can only do it so much. And I found myself going, I'm never going to graduate. <laughs> I put off the stuff that I needed to do on a consistent basis for the things that I wanted to do, and that's why I'm an ag major now. And so Nehemiah goes, hey, I'm not just going to take the things that I want and put off the other stuff. He doesn't, he doesn't make that mistake, and he doesn't make the mistake of trying to do too many things at once. Man, we live in a world where so many things in some senses have been simplified, and yet, man, we complicate stuff a lot. We take on stuff, and we take on stuff, and there's times we are doing too much, and there's times where you have to take a step back and go, I'm not going to make that mistake because it's killing me or my family or my workspace, like all of those. Years ago, I did like probably one of my favorite ministry things. I, I absolutely stole it from JD. I told him that. Um, but I did a thing called Man Retreat. Where I would take all these students, middle school and high school, and we'd go out camping. I'd split them into tribes. There were these man games, and we never used forks or anything like that when we ate. It was a lot of fun. But after the first year that I did it, 
I went home and I crashed for like a week because I had tried to do everything on my own and it just wasn't that good. The next year, I knew we were going to do it again. I was like, I, I can't repeat that. So I went to some guys that I knew that were volunteers. And I said, hey, y'all like to cook, right? They said, yeah. I said, man, I really need y'all to cook for this thing. They said, don't worry about it. We got it. They rolled out an entire mobile kitchen and cooked for everybody. And I knew I needed somebody to come in and teach so that I didn't have to have that as well. And I called a friend of mine and said, hey, you like teaching on biblical manhood, don't you? And he said, yeah. I was like, man, I need you to come up and teach some guys. He's like, I'm on it. I needed some logistics done. And I had a guy that was just super administrative. And I said, hey, can you figure out how to get all these people out to this campsite so we're not taking like 100 cars? And he goes, yeah, don't worry about it. And all these other people got involved. And, man, by the time we finished that thing, we would take like 150 middle school, high school kids out and just celebrate and grow in manhood. And it was wonderful. But it took me going, hey, I have made the mistake of trying to take all of this on myself, and I'm not designed to do that. Nehemiah knew, hey, I physically cannot do this myself. These stones that he would have been moving would have been an impossibility for one person to do it. It was going to take more people. And he understood, hey, I could make a lot of mistakes in this, but he doesn't make those. Instead, he does it the right way. And so when we ask the question, how do we accomplish something big that God has called us to do? The first one's this. First, we remind everyone God's glory is our driving force. So look into Nehemiah. And I'm not going to read all of Nehemiah chapter 3. We're going to kind of bounce around a little bit. But we're going to start in verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then... Uh, Elisha, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors, and they consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the Tower of Hanel. And next to them, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachor, the son of Emir, built. Now, as we get into some of these, it's interesting how Nehemiah starts this. The first thing that Nehemiah does is he acknowledges that this is not for me, this is for God's glory. The first name that he mentions, and we're going to read a bunch of them, and I'm going to butcher most of them. But the first name that he mentioned is a high priest. This was a big role. Everyone in Jerusalem knew who the high priest was. At this point, they had at least built the temple back. They didn't have the walls, but they had the temple. And they had the high priest. And not just anyone could be the high priest. Literally, you had to come from a certain tribe. Like, genetically, you had to have a background of coming from that line in order to be the high priest. And the high priest served big, big roles. The high priest oversaw the worship within the temple. The high priest was the one that they wore these like priestly garbs and everyone recognized them. But there was a day called Yom Kippur, this day of atonement, where they would go into the temple, into what was known as the Holy of Holies. They would take all that priestly garb off. They just wore simple linens. And they went in and they made a sacrifice to cover the sin of all the people. Like this was a big, big role. And because it was a big, big role, you didn't always just bump into the high priest at Walmart in Jerusalem. Like the high priest was one, it was a position of prestige. And sometimes even just being among the people could potentially make them unclean. And so they didn't, they didn't often get out there with people and walk around and talk with them and things like that. And yet, this high priest hears Nehemiah's vision. And he goes, man, that's a man of God. That's a vision from God. And I'm on board with it. I want to be a part of that. So I don't know how much he did, if it was really, really hands-on, but we know that the high priest stepped out of the temple, and he got some guys together and said, we're on board with Nehemiah, let's kick this thing off. And they start building this wall, and they begin to build the wall around where the temple was. And when they got done with it, it says they consecrated it. I mean, they, they blessed it and said, hey, this isn't about us. We are, we are, this is about God's glory. 
Like we, we want this to be an offering to our God. This little section of wall that we built, maybe a couple hundred feet. And they said, hey, it's not about us, but this is about God's glory. And so they bless it, they consecrate it, they dedicate it and say, hey, this is not ours, but this is God's wall. And the crazy thing happens. The high priest steps out and he begins to work. And what do you see happen? Other people get involved. It says the men of Jericho see this. Jericho is a city pretty good ways off from where they were. And yet they heard about Nehemiah's vision. They heard, hey, they're going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And they go and they begin to see that, hey, other people are getting involved in this. It's about God's glory. We want to be about that as well. When we do things for God's glory, it becomes contagious. People see it. People get excited about it. People get excited about God moving. People get excited about him, him stirring things up inside of us. If we're going to accomplish something big, when we faithfully go, hey, it's about his glory, people see that. And it is. It's contagious. And so it says, hey, the men of Jericho and then this guy over here, like all these people begin to come together because they said, hey, we understand this isn't just about us. This is about God's glory. If we're going to accomplish big things that God's called us to do, whether it be ministry, whether it be at work, whether it be at home, when we are obedient and we go, hey, it's not about me, it's about him, people see that. That's got to be the foundation for everything we do. If we ever do anything ministry-related and go, man, I hope that makes us look cool, we're doing it wrong. It's all about his glory and pointing people towards him. That has to be our driving force. Next thing is this. Next, we remind people, regardless of their background, they play a part in seeing a movement of God. So look in verse 3, and I'm going to bounce around a little bit. It says, the, hunt, the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate, and they laid its beams and set its doors and its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Mirmoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakkah, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of uh, Berechiah. Uh, the son of Mishnabil repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Benaiah, repaired. And next to them, the Tekanites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Jediah, the son of Pesha, and Meshulam, the son of Basidia, repaired the gate of Yeshna. And they laid its beams, and they set its doors, and its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Meleth, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the, that name. And the men of Gibeon, and the Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Zeal the son of Hariah, goldsmiths repaired. And next to them, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. And then, just so we kind of get a picture of all that's going on, verse 14, that person, I butcher that one a lot. The son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Haram, repaired the dung gate. He got the short straw. And he rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. In verse 16, it says, and after him, Nehemiah, this is a different Nehemiah, after him, Nehemiah, the son of Asbuk, ruler of half the district of Bethzer, repaired to the point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. In verse 22, it says, after him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area repaired. Verse 23, after them, Benjamin and Hassab repaired opposite their house. And then verse 32, it says, uh, and between the upper chamber of the corner of the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. This is a huge group of people. Scattered amongst this city, you have got all of these different backgrounds and all of these different socioeconomic standpoints, like all this melting pot coming together in this moment. 
We've already seen that, hey, there were priests that were there. And this was looked at as a position of respect. This was looked at as a position of authority. And these people saw them, and they saw them out there getting their hands dirty and building this wall. Beyond that, you get to see people from other towns. All these different providences around Jerusalem, they get word that, hey, they're rebuilding the wall. And, man, this is going to be for God's glory. And they go, we want to be a part of that. And so they begin to flood into the city, and they begin to dive in, and they begin to get their hands dirty. You see officials that literally are like ruling over different parts, like Jerusalem had been split up into different districts, and each district had somebody that kind of oversaw it, making sure that, you know, from a government standpoint, things were happening. And these people were officials, and it was a a position of prestige. And these people are out there getting their hands dirty. I love in verse 23, it says, And Benjamin and Hassop repaired opposite their house. These are two guys. Usually whenever it lists in the Old Testament a house, it'll say that person and it's his house. Well, now you've got two guys that are together. This was the bachelor pad in Jerusalem. Like, you remember those days if, it, if it's there for you? What I love in this is God goes, hey, singleness is not something that keeps you from ministry. Because you've got these two bachelors that are out there getting their hands dirty. Like, I remember that time, just because you're in a single spot doesn't mean that you don't get to minister to people. 1107 in Euless, Texas was the bachelor pad for quite some time. Me and my roommate, John, it was a cool place. There was never a time there weren't other people there. Unfortunately, there was a quick trip right next to us, and people would bring all their quick trip stuff over, and I'd have to clean up after them. Literally, there were times I would fill an entire trash can with other people's quick trip stuff. There were many nights that I told people, lock the door when you leave, because I've got class in the morning. I've got to go to bed. It was just a place where everybody hung out and got to minister to students, got to minister to college kids. We had Bible studies there. Like, this is all these different people, different backgrounds coming together. And then you've got these guilds, these goldsmiths and perfumers and merchants. These were people who had a legitimate job. And they'd kind of organized a little bit. And these were people that really could have made a lot of money off of this situation. The merchants, man, all these people are coming in from other towns. They're going to be wanting to buy stuff. Those merchants could have looked at this and gone, man, the stock is ripe right now. But instead they said, you know what? What's more important than making a lot of money right now is being being obedient and following after God. And they said, you know what? We're going to forgo our positions. And I'm not going to make stuff out of gold. I'm not going to make perfume. I'm going to build a wall around our city because I know that's what God has called us to do. And you've got all these different groups and all these different backgrounds coming together to serve a common purpose. And we see that today. We see that in the New Testament. That's what we are called to do. You read Ephesians chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Paul says, hey, God called some people, he means to be apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists, and he called all these kind of official offices, but why did he do it? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. If you are in here today, if you are watching online, if you are in Christ, you have been called to be a minister. That doesn't always mean you're going to have like a face mic, doesn't mean you're going to have to get up on stage. May not be on the website, may not have your picture in the lobby, but every single person is called to be a minister. And part of my job, part of the job of our staff and our elders and leadership is to train and equip people so that you can do the work that God has called you to do. Because like I said, God has called each of us to something big. He's called us into ministry. He's equipped us. He's done those things. And when we look at the New Testament, we watch that play out of, hey, it's our job to train and equip so that when you leave this place, you can do the role of a minister. Because I can't minister to some of the people that you're around. Like, I don't just show up to your workplace. That's your workplace. You get the opportunity to go there and impact the people that are around you. 
Okay, so you're a teacher, you got students, you're at work over here, you've got coworkers. That's your ministry area. And God has called you to that. And so he takes all of this, he takes all of us, and he puts us together so that we can do something bigger. It takes everyone being reminded that, hey, we're going to have to be in this together. And man, Nehemiah was just a master at bringing people together. One, Nehemiah was very good at delegating. Nehemiah understood, I can't do this alone. And so Nehemiah strategically split this wall up into like 40 or 41 sections. And then he looked around and he said, man, there's some pretty capable leaders here. They may not have organized all this, but they're, they're pretty capable leaders. And he begins to call on some of these people. And he calls on, you know, the other Nehemiah. And he calls on the high priest. And he says, hey, this is your section. Man, you, you can do this. Like 400 feet, you got this. Man, this guy over here, he's pretty well equipped. You got 600 feet. But man, I believe in you. And he delegates, and then he lets other leaders lead. Like, this is an important leadership lesson. He calls these people, he splits it up, and then he doesn't micromanage. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a position where you've been overly micromanaged. I don't work well in that. I remember one time before I came here, I was just teaching at a church one week. It was a position that I I thought I might be kind of working into. I wasn't even on staff, but I taught there one week, and I have never been so micromanaged, and I wasn't even on staff. I told Whitney, I was like, there's no way this is going to work out. But Nehemiah calls on these leaders, and he raises them up, and then he lets other leaders lead. And he just gets everyone involved. He takes people that are really smart. The priests, they were educated. People working in the temple, they were educated. Other people, you know, some of the servants and things like that, they probably couldn't read. But Nehemiah said, that's not going to stop us. And he takes people from different backgrounds. And he takes people from, with different stories in their life. And he brings them together, and he makes it possible that they can do what they're going to do. And you're looking at that this morning. Man, at South Point, we've got, we've got different age ranges. We've got people from different socioeconomic backgrounds. We've got people that grew up in this state, people that grew up in this state. We've got people that like A&M, a lot more that don't. <laughs> it's a lot of, it's a melting pot. But it takes all of us coming together to make this possible. That's why there's people in the back that sometimes you don't ever see, but they are making all the sound and lights and everything work. There's another team in the back right now that's making our online service possible. They're mixing for it so that what you hear online sounds good. And we've got people that greet, and we've got people that work with students. We've got people that are working with kids right now. It takes all of us coming together and understanding that, hey, we, regardless of your background, I don't care where you're from, I don't care how old you are, I don't care what you look like, God can call you to do big things. And then, next, we remind people that all means all. If you glance back in Nehemiah 3, in verse 12, it says, Next to him Shalom, the son of Halish, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. When I say all means all, I mean all means all. You have to understand, this is written several thousand years ago in a very, very patriarchal society. Like, males were ruler. And yet, in the midst of this, this guy who's over half a district realizes this is a big project. It's going to take all of us. And he looks out to his daughters and he says, hey, I'm going to need your help. And I would bet that Everyone in here, if you brought a Bible, your translation says daughters. There's a couple translations that try and pass it off and say it's sons or it's talking about he's referring to the cities that were within his district. No, it means daughters. 
Like this is one, when it comes to ministry, God calls all of us. Doesn't matter if you're male, female, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter what color you are. God has called all of us to ministry. And I love that that verse is there. I remember when I was reading through and kind of making notes, it was like, underline that one. Because just because you're female doesn't mean you don't get to be in ministry. We've got people that are leading our prayer ministry, people leading our kids. This is a big thing. Like, within that, God doesn't show partiality. You go read James. Like, who's the first person to hear that Jesus is alive? It's a woman. Like, I run with, and if you ever come to our member class, we talk about this. I very much believe in uh, complementarity. The idea is that men and women are equal in both essence and value. And then we are put into spots where we complement one another. That's why Peter and Paul both talk about, hey, husbands this, wives this. Wives, submit to your husbands. And I know that gets hijacked so much today, and it's the sense of, oh, you know, it's this master and slave type thing, but it's not referring to that. And you get over to the guy side and says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. That is a pretty much impossibility that men have been called to. And we've been called to complement one another. And within this, you have got to stay in the middle. If you go all the way to the left, you get egalitarianism where it's, hey, we're all equal no matter what it is. And in some things, I say, yes, we are equal. Like, I will undoubtedly say, somebody within my family generations ago probably said, yeah, a woman shouldn't be able to vote. That's wrong. Like, I'm not saying that. You go all the way to the right side and you get stuff that I guarantee some of you have experienced. Where it's, well, because I'm the man, when I come home, dinner's going to be ready, everything's going to be clean, and that's how it is. I don't find that in the Bible. What I find is sacrificial love. Love your wives like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He laid his life down for the church. Unbelievably sacrificial. And so we're called within ministry. Only thing within that, I will also point out member class, like when it comes to elder, overseer, shepherd, I see that as... God said, hey, my design is that's going to be a guy. Some people go, well, are you saying that a woman doesn't have the ability to do that? Nope. I'm just saying when I read 1 Timothy, when I read Titus, that seems to be the design there. But when it comes to ministering, and if we're all called to ministry, all means all. We don't ever look at it and go, well, I just, God didn't want me to do that. He's calling each and every one of us. And then if we're going to accomplish big things, finally, we give credit where credit is due. When we read through these names, they don't mean a lot if we're really honest. I know we say, man, all scripture is God-breathed, but there's times where we just look and I go, okay, Uriah, Zadok, you know, all these names, men of Gibeon, things that I can't even pronounce. There's times where I go, man, it doesn't carry weight with it, but it did to Nehemiah. Nehemiah looked out. And he saw these people and he said, it is important enough that I am going to recognize the work that you have done, the things that you have contributed. You use the gifts that God has given you, and I am going to make sure to put your name there. Nehemiah knew that he could not do this alone. He would have to have other people. And so when people are stepping up and doing things, it's important we recognize that. Not for a prideful moment, but Nehemiah is saying, hey, this person was obedient. And I want to recognize that person's obedience because it's important and it teaches people. So where thousands of years later, I look at Jediah and I go, man, I am so glad that that guy stepped up and led and helped rebuild that wall. You know how this becomes 
a lot more personal when we put our names in and we kind of think of it that way. We've got people that serve all over the place. Last week in our meeting, we kind of recognized a lot of our champions. Like, that's important to us. What happens if we put other names there? We begin to recognize the impact that people have. And even we can even do it in a Jewish way. So we could look at it and say, you know, Donna Hall, daughter of so-and-so, she greeted in such a way this morning that a first-time guest said, I'm going to name my first daughter after you. And we realize the impact that that person makes. Mike Hobbs, he led our cat team in such a way that people were at such peace they slept throughout the message. Like, now it means something. J.D. Umber led equipping class in such a way that people had to cover their face with a veil because there was so much biblical knowledge thrown out. Kathy Hookie made coffee, and the people said it was good. Like, like when we look at it in that personal way, we realize, man, these people made an impact. Yeah, it's thousands of years ago. Yeah, it's in a different culture. It's on the other side of the world. But, man, the impact that they made. They rebuilt some of the wall that Jesus and the disciples would walk around. They made a place of protection so these pools could be made that one day Jesus would sit there with a blind man and minister to him. These people had a huge impact because they were obedient to the big things that God had called them to do. And it doesn't end thousands of years ago. In 2021, each and every one of us have been called to great big things. These people built a wall. I would say we have been tasked with something far greater. We've been given the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we've been placed in a time where there's still lots of people that don't know it. We've been given opportunities to be able to share it across the globe instantaneously. Our call is great. Hey, go and make disciples, teaching them what I've taught you. And that's the call that we have today. We have been called to accomplish something really, really, really big. And we get the opportunity to do that. We've got to remember, though, it's about his glory. And we've got to remember it doesn't matter what your background is. You can share that message. As we leave here today, as we go out into our workplaces, we go to home. I mean, today, some of you, will, you know, probably gather together and watch the game. Um, I hope both teams have fun, and I hope the commercials are good. That's how it goes for me. You'll be around people. Like, we have been given so many opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. God has called us to big things, and it's time that we step up just like these people did thousands of years ago and step into what God is calling us to do and fulfill it. And I know that we can do that when we do it together. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, I'm thankful for the obedience of people thousands of years ago and the impact that it made and how it still carries and teaches us even into 2021. And God, I know that you have called us to big things, and one of those big things is making the gospel known. The gospel being that you are a God that loves us and that made a way for us to experience salvation. Our sins separated us from you, but in your grace, you sent Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, laid his life down to pay the price for our sin. And it's only through him that we can find forgiveness. And so if there's somebody that's in here today or watching online, and that's never been a personal thing for you, 
that can change today. If you know, hey, I, I've, I've never had a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not about going to church. It's not about being a good person. It's about fully knowing him. And if that's you today going, hey, I need that, saying, God, as best as I know how, I want to come to you through Christ. I want to turn away from my old life. I want to be a follower of Christ and make him the Lord of my life. And we know that in that instant, we are made into new creations. We are made into something great. And if that's you today, if you prayed that, I would encourage you, talk to one of our staff, talk to somebody, grab me after service. We want to celebrate that. And God, as we leave here today, I know that you've called us to so much. And God, I pray that we will walk in obedience to do that. Keeping you first and foremost at the front. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.